Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, we're going to talk about inflation, rates, recession red flags, and more. My guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami, and that means that, as always, we'll have a very animated discussion. We have a lot to talk about, so let's dive in. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Uh, always happy to have you on. Boy, we have a lot to talk about. So, you know, we had uh, Jobs Friday last um, Friday, and you wrote a jobs report for us and kind of looked at that. We've got inflation, we've got rates, we've got the recession red flag. So let's start with jobs. Yes. Uh, again, uh, part of the America's Back Recovery model that was retired on December 9th, 2020, was the next stage was the labor market coming back. And I thought that was the one thing that was going to take some time. Of course, in a global pandemic, there are certain sectors that were going to lag. Uh, and I thought September of 2022, we should get all the jobs back um, from COVID. We have a few misses here or there, but the internals of the labor market are great. Job openings over 11 and a half million. Jobless claims are low. So we're going to work our way back. And we are so close to getting all the jobs back, and uh, we, uh, you know, under three hundred thousand per each report uh, by September, we're there. So we are actually have a chance to get it exactly right by September of twenty twenty two. So the internals of the report, there are some revisions were negative for the first time. That's happened. Uh, labor participation rates or employment to population for prime age uh, labor force uh, uh, fell just a little bit. Um, but again, it, it we we need labor. The job market's healthy. Uh, that's one of the, it, not just one of the, but the main reason why the Federal Reserve is being so aggressive. Uh, as long as the labor market stays healthy for them, they are they are going to full blown try to fight inflation. So uh, a good report, uh, some some unusual anomalies there, but outside of that, I thought it showed the power of the U.S. consumer where we need labor. Uh, and uh, it'll be something that we look forward to, not just for this year, but for next year, because the recession red flag model itself was actually raised uh, this week, number four. And that's, again, showing that we're part of a mature economic expansion now. Well, you just uh, set set it up great for us to talk about that. Let's, let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about rates, interest rates, and mortgage rates, because um, last week we had the Fed do a very aggressive half-point uh, interest rates and and we didn't see it we didn't see mortgage rates take off necessarily but those things kind of you know they're hard to hard to find what is the average so tell me a little bit about where you think rates are what's going on with re- inflation give us give us everything so uh, the market has priced in a lot of fed rate hikes already it's the fed's job to follow through with it and uh, initially the uh, bond yields fell after the the fred uh, j powell's presser meeting then the next day the market sold off as yields started to increase so it, it's a very volatile market right now especially the bond market and the stock market um, but again, a lot of Fed rate hikes are priced in in the bond market. The Fed has to come through with it, and because they talked about maybe not doing seventy five percent rate hike, uh, that you know they consider that dovish. But again, 
we the Fed is behind the curve in terms of what the market is pricing. Now on inflation, which is an interesting thing, some of the inflationary data is starting to fade. Uh, the used cars prices are the rate of growth is falling. Uh, some of the trucking data that we get uh, is starting to be a little bit weaker. So there are signs of uh, peaking rate of inflation just because the consumption demand it cannot be that strong. And I think that's you know that's one of the recession red flags that were raised. Where was the overinvestment? Where was the uh, super demand? It came from durable goods. And uh, when Amazon came out and said, "Listen, we have enough workers, and durable goods spending looks like it's you know we're going to go back to normal." which means service spending will pick up. There are parts of the economy that had this kind of COVID boom uh, and that's deflating. We see that in the stock market, all those stocks that did super great during COVID are, are, are all crashing. So that's part of the each economic cycle. We want to find where was the boom, so where were the busts be? And we're seeing that bust uh, in those companies, you know, you always use the Peloton example. Peloton had booming demand. Their demand fell off a cliff. They have too many workers. They fired people off. They stopped their manufacturing plant. Those are things that you want to look in within the economic expansion. And durable goods spending was the boom. So that's the area you want to focus on. What will be the damage when spending and growth gets back to normal? Because we're not a fast-growing economy and we're not an inflationary economy like that. You know, a lot of people that think mortgage rates could go to 9, 10, 11%, they're actually really strong economic bulls, right? But when things get back to normal, we'll be a very slow growing economy with uh, population growth slowing, just like a lot of other countries around the world. So there's a lot of one-offs and this is where the Russian invasion and the, and the China lockdowns come into play. Uh, some of the data staying a little bit probably more firm than we usually would see. So we need to go out for the next year and see when does that aspect alleviate itself uh, if the Russian invasion ends and when does China get back online? Uh, because some of the uh, front running uh, inflationary data, the rate of growth is peaking. OK, well, let's uh, go back to that 9, 10 percent uh, rates, right? Let, let, let's talk about that a little bit. What in your model, how, how high do you think rates could go and what are you looking at to see what that looks like? So I know that the 10 year yield is huge for you. But in your in your mind, is there any way we get to nine or ten percent? Well, nine to ten percent. I I look at it as the economy really has to be booming, not just here but around the world. I'm talking like we're going to see the fastest economic and consumption growth we'd ever seen, uh, and we had this really boom, but it's already deflating out. Uh, so the nine to ten percent mortgage rate camp would have to be the mortgage-backed security market just collapse or something to that nature, which if the Fed really wanted to, they could fix that. But I just don't, I don't see us that, I, I'm not that strong of an economic bull. And I think that's, that's where I find the conflicting people, the people that are high mortgage rates pushing that in terms of, oh, here comes the crash. They're also bearish American and foreign citizens, right? So you can't be nine to 10, and then a recession person at the same time. Because what happens if growth slows down, rates fall down, bond yields fall down. So you have to you have to pick a side. And this is why I'm not one of those super high mortgage rate people. I don't believe the economy is that strong or the world economies can be that strong. I think we're everyone's dealing with a very unique once in a lifetime situation where we had COVID-19, we had, I mean, there are countries around the world that are having inflation that did not have our stimulus or our recovery. So there's inflationary pressures out there that are not, not binding to the U.S., like Germany's economy is dealing with high inflation. That's not because of our spending, right? Uh, 
So our durable goods spendings will fall, our service spendings will pick up, we'll get back to our traditional slow economic growth, um, and that will moderate any extreme high mortgage rates. And again, mortgage rates go up higher and higher, new home sales fall, housing starts fall, that's one of the next recession red flags. So if you are a high mortgage rate person, you can't be a recession person at the same time. You have to be, I believe economic growth is gonna take off, Population growth doesn't matter. Uh, productivity, which which was terrible actually in the last report, is going to be booming, and and the world economies are going to join us as well. Not in that camp. So uh, things get back to normal, and what a normal U.S. economy is: slow and steady economic growth, no super boom. We have unbelievable replacement buyers uh, and consumers in terms of the millennials and Gen Z. Other countries don't have that. Things will get back to normal when a lot of these other things kind of uh, run themselves out. So that's why I say the, the Russian invasion and the Chinese uh, lockdown are different than what we talk about the economy. If they weren't in play, I think more people would be focus, focusing on some of the weaker uh, economic data, but we're not there yet. And again, the 10-year yields at uh, slightly above 3%. If this was a booming economy, the bond market would be pricing up much higher than where we are right now. Mortgage rates would be much higher than where they are right now. They're not, and I think that's properly priced in. Uh, and with the Federal Reserve, it, the interesting aspect is the kind of the two camps right now. There's a group of people that think the Federal Reserve cannot hike rates to where the bond market is priced in because they'll create a recession. A lot of these people have always thought this to be the case, and it wasn't the case in the previous expansion, so there might be some, some bias in that. And then there's another group that believes that the Federal Reserve has to create a recession because the only way to bring demand down is for millions of people to lose their jobs and not drive to work or stuff stuff in that nature. So those are the two camps that are fighting right now. And we're that's the tug of war I've talked about. That you know the bond market is already priced in a lot of things. The the long end of the market bond market is 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 rising as well. The Federal Reserve wants to create tighter conditions. They want the stock market to go down. They want the wealth effect. They want spending less, right? And they want to do it and manage a soft landing at the same time. So lots going on right now. You know, it's not a traditional economic expansion or, or recovery. So we 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 have to take it one day at a time. But we do see some of the data lines getting softer. And some of the kind of the, the used cars prices uh, have been falling for three months in a row. So the rate of growth, not a decline in negative, but the rate of growth in some of these things are falling. So uh, you talked a little bit there, but uh, give us your range for the 10-year yield and then the corresponding range for mortgage rates. Well, well right, right now, I believe we're, we're kind of where the 10-year yield would be fully priced in with the Fed rate hikes. If economic growth starts to pick up even more and inflation, for some reason, starts to accelerate again, uh, the 10-year yield has has much more legs to go higher. I don't see that in the data. We're not accelerating. You take the negative GDP out of the equation. That A lot of that had to do with uh, trade and inventory. But we're just starting to get slower, right? We're starting to get back to normal. So... Right now, I'm looking at 5.875 to six and a quarter, traditionally just normal pricing, if the mortgage market was a little bit more functional. Uh, right now, that, that to me would be kind of the peak. But again, if the data fades and the labor market turns, I, I don't think the Fed would be that hawkish. But as of right now, their main focus is to destroy demand and make sure the labor market is good. So the labor market is still healthy. And uh, obviously, they haven't destroyed demand enough. 
but we're slowly getting there. So I think we're kind of toward the end of this, but the way this changes is that the US economy just starts booming again. In Japan and Germany, everybody's economies are start rolling in, global yields rise, there's no recession, we just go, just don't see that in the data. Just don't think we, we have that kind of capacity anymore. And the difference between now than let's say what happened during COVID is that you know the Fed was cutting rates, we we're doing disaster relief, we we're giving checks out to people. That's all over with, right? So uh, we've kind of run through that. The personal savings rate, even though more Americans have more wealth and money right now, the rate, the savings rate has fallen below to what it was pre-COVID level. So there's we're getting back to normal, and that means the economic data in time should get back to normal. Well, let's talk about your recessionary model, right? So you have six uh, red flags that sort of point the way towards here's where the recession is probably going to come in. Walk us through the four that are now up. Okay, so the first one, uh, unemployment rate gets to a certain percentage for me. It was 4% and the two-year yield was rising. So that that's, again, these are progression checkoffs within a cycle. The second one is the Federal, Federal Reserve starts its rate hike, right? Uh, uh, eventually, the economy uh, uh, gets the rates going, more mature uh, expansion. Uh, number three is the inverted yield curve. Inverted, I was on inverted yield curve last November in Thanksgiving. People thought that was weird, but we got the inverted yield curve. Again, progression model. Number four, again, what's the booming aspect of the economy now that we're in a more mature area? Oh, it was durable goods. It was retail sales. We all see that. It's, it's very noticeable. That cannot be sustained. We're already seeing companies lay off people because of that, because that is coming back down to normal. So those are kind of the early progression to mid-progression checkoffs. Now the big two, uh, leading economic index, 10 data lines put together to traditionally this falls four to six months before every single recession. And then uh, uh, new home sales, housing starts, housing permits, you know, they tend to fall going into recession. Usually rates are higher enough, it kills demand. And then we do this all over again, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, right now, it's not in the data for the leading economic index, and it's not in the data for the new home sales or housing permits. But some of that data is lagging, right? So we have to look forward looking. What's the variable change? 5% plus mortgage rates, right? That's enough to cool things down. If that happens, you need to keep an eye on the housing data because then the four, the fifth and sixth recession flags are up. And then when all recession flags are up, we have a whole different kind of conversation then, but we're getting there, right? Again, progression models are not very sexy, but they're here to teach about economic cycles. And unless you have a COVID-19 shock, like COVID-19 came, US economic data was fine. It was actually getting better in 2019 and 2020. Uh, but when we have a shock like that, you get a uh, deep contraction, a super fast recovery. Here, it's going to be much different uh, this time around. Does your recovery model, when you look at like, can it tell you like, oh, looking at this data, it's going to be a really deep recovery or a long recovery or a hard reco recovery or, or, or a hard, re I should say, a long recession? Or, you know, does it give you any of those things? Like, what are we looking at if, if we do go into a recession? What, is, what kind of recession? How long? What does that look like? Traditionally, recessions aren't long unless you have a very, very mass scale leveraged, which the housing bubble was, right? We needed to deleverage all that debt. That's why it took forever, right? And unless you, and we had also had a demographic peak, a population growth for ages 25 to 20, 54 peaked in 2007, declined. I still think that's like the biggest story back then, but nobody wants to talk about it. And then we slowly worked our household formation back up. So that was a, that was a, a longer than traditional recession because we had to do a lot of deleveraging, right? People had to go through foreclosures. They, that process took many, many years for certain states. COVID wasn't that. Everybody thought COVID was going to be the next depression. In six weeks, we were already out of it. 
Uh, so uh, the, the COVID recovery model was based on, hey, household balance sheets are great. Demographics are awesome. We're about to blow this recession out of the sky. And it was done. Pretty much April, that was it. Uh, leading economic indicators bottomed in April, had the sharpest recovery ever recorded in history. Going out for the next recession, you want to see what what consumer is over leveraged, what companies are over leveraged, and, and, and how long would it impact them. But in general context, most people are always working. Right. So the recession data depends on how big the overinvestment is, is where the impact is. A good example was we had a manufacturing recession in 2015 and 16. Oil rigs boomed. Right. So the oil industry had a recession back then, but it didn't impact the general economy because we're a consumption based economy. So as long as people are working uh, and they can spend, the economy just moves along. There's going to be parts of the recessionary uh, or sectors that will get impacted so you want to keep an eye on the durable goods area, the companies that might have overinvested, thinking that that would have been a longer trend. We see those stocks are down 70 to 80% already. You know, So um, right now, it doesn't look like it, it would be a very deep recession in any context, but really depends on how we get kind of the inflationary data down because the consumer balance sheets are just pristine for homeowners. Renters is a different story, right? Uh, and also the rate of growth of rent inflation should slow down uh, in, in 2023. So again, it's they're all moving variables, but we don't have a massive consumer leverage credit bubble like we did from 2002 to 2005. This is why lending standards should never ease because you can't mess with housing uh, debt. As, uh, our, our strength was that we kept our consumers very good and very sharp. And part of that is the 2005 bankruptcy laws as well. Uh, no more. We were people were filing for bankruptcy like crazy before that because they there was really no um, um, there was really no hit to them until that law came past. So people don't realize how good the consumer is now, and they're everyone's going back to two thousand eight, two thousand five, two thousand two models, and all these people get blown out all the time because it's just it's completely different as back then. So you can't use that for the next recession. You have to find new variables, new sectors. You know, that reminds me of uh, a conversation you and I were having recently about um, ARM products. So because one of the things that you talked about is that most of the, you know, the reason that homeowners are in such good shape, they took on, you know, very vanilla kinds of uh, debt structures. They, you know, they're in 30-year fixed mortgages. So we do see quite a bit of interest in ARM products right now. So tell us why that is a good or bad thing and what the overall effect will be. You know, one of my favorite anti-central bank trolling bearish American citizens on Twitter was like, oh, look at the arm. There's a radar there. There's something bad. Okay. People have been saying bad stuff about arms for the last 10, 11 years. Whenever there's a slight pickup, these, these people are so oh, soft, man, I tell you. Um, <laughs> in any case, what happens is that arm products aren't very popular anymore. Uh, they pick up when uh, mortgage rates rise. I mean, one of the reasons I want to ban ARM products is because I want higher rates to create balance and people could go to ARMS and then, you know, they, they find a way out, out of the higher rates uh, uh, balancing theme. But what, what's happened is that the debt structures are nothing like what we saw from 1996 to 2005. And none of these people have a banking or residential lending or credit stress background. So they don't know that. They just make stuff up. Uh, so the ARM loans themselves are fine. And plus the qualifications are different. You gotta actually have to qualify for a higher payment. Part of the reason why they're not that popular anymore. So uh, I'm not concerned about the ARMs. I mean, we had housing crash fanatics from like 2012 to 2019 that were talking about the home equity recast crash, the second wave of... So no, that, that we we have to move past 
this housing uh, 2002 to 2005 credit bubble stage. And and arms are just not the same arms as before. And trust me, homeowners now are are unbelievably doing well financially, right? You can't be, people go, oh, they lend to the poor. Poor people don't buy homes. Come on. It's like, you're crazy out here. You do you know, especially the homes now, in some of these areas, your medium price is like a million dollars. What? So again, the, the benefit of housing was always that it's a fixed debt product. And when the person buys that home, over the, every year, their wages rise. So they have to actually qualify for the loan on, on a higher payment. So they'll be okay, right? Uh, uh, so it's just not the same uh, uh, as we saw. So you'll you'll see it every dog. It's, it's almost like a dog whistle. Oh, arms are up. Oh, 2005, all over again. 2008, here we go, okay? There's a, only a certain group of American citizens and Russian foreign agents that do this every time, right? And trust me, they're not on our side, right? They want to see America collapse always because something happened to them in their childhood where they just hate <laughs> everything. I, you know, I know that I like it and and our and our audience finds it uh, very interesting when you go on a rant. Uh, you know, you got to go on a rant sometimes. No, it's just I, I see this. I see this, you know, arms pick up. It happens every time when rates rise and the same people are, oh, no, 2008, everyone's going to foreclose. Do you know, I mean, honestly, after the beating that these people took in the COVID recovery, after the beating they took in the longest economic and job expansion recovery, don't talk. Go back to that troll cave. Come on. Like, how many times do you want to be wrong before you pass on to the other afterlife? Like, why? Like, what makes you this way? And I just... So I fortunately have the ability to, to say my mind and uh, a lot of people know where I stand on that. No, it's absolutely wonderful. Love it when you do that. Okay, well, let's look forward. You know, so you've talked about a lot of things here. You're going to talk uh, about some of those things. We're going to have a HW Plus housing market update on May 10th um, at 12 o'clock. People can sign up for that on housingwire.com. Um, tell us a little bit, who's, who else is going to be on that panel with you? So this is a very great, uh, group of panelists to have right now. Uh, Matthew Graham from MBS Live, he will specifically talk about the mortgage market, which that is his thing. I think that's that at this time right now, that is that is perfect. Uh, Mike Simon at Atlas Research, uh, the supply uh, data, which is always very critical. And, and I think so much of the confusion, confusion around housing has been not understanding this, uh, how the supply works uh, in America post-1996. So he will give his take. Odetta from First American, uh, she'll be great with the affordability and rent uh, uh, data lines. And then, you know, for myself, I will talk about the economic expansion with the Federal Reserve, what's going to do, uh, what what really impacts the supply uh, level. Again, being part of team higher rates, which I know is unpopular, uh, am I seeing the balance that I need to see? And I will be talking about the forward-looking indicators, which actually do show this. Uh, higher rates are creating a balance. It's just not as fast as um, many people thought. And I need to explain why that's the case. So people have a better understanding because uh, a lot of people had thought, well, when rates get to 4%, the dynamics of, his, of, of housing economics will change. None of that's happening. We're still actually showing negative year-over-year inventory data, but that's going to be positive soon. And then the next conversation, what does that mean for 2023? And I think that's the more sophisticated way of doing it. But again, economics done right should be terribly boring. And boring doesn't really work that well on Twitter and other social media accounts. 
<laughs> no, it doesn't. So that's that's actually tomorrow. I mean, by the time that this uh, podcast live, that's tomorrow. So the HW Plus housing market update. You're also going to be talking in person to people. Um, we we timed this around the um, MBA secondary conference in New York City. And so Monday, May 16th, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Sanctuary Hotel, there will be cocktails with Logan. And I know we've had lots of interest on that. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like. Yes, and I think it's a great group. I mean, we got Wall Street there. We got executives, economists, uh, mortgage people, real estate. So uh, we get to talk live. And and for me, talking live is actually my my thing. I don't get to do it much. Uh, or, or debating is kind of my thing. So we will talk about housing and economics. I will answer every question you have. A live Q and A. And for me, just personally, you know, some of my Wall Street friends I have never met. I've known them for like over a decade. So it'll be nice to see uh, some of my New York peeps in, in person. And it's New York. It's New York on a Monday night. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's New York in the spring. It's going to be wonderful. I know that we already have a ton of people signed up. We do have a limit as far as how much uh, the venue holds. So people need to go in and register so that we uh, know who you are and, and you and you get a spot. I know uh, very excited about that. And Logan, thank you so much for being on with us today. It is always a pleasure, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.